Now the mayor of Marion, North Carolina, Steve Little, the lead researcher on the Western North Carolina Railroad and new research on incarcerated labor that built the railroad. Mr. Mayor, good morning. Appreciate your time. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, let's kind of start with the overview, Mayor, of the, the railroads in Western North Carolina. Third of the state were isolated by the geography until the mid-1800s, right? And then uh, 10 years after the Civil War, the state of North Carolina bought the bankrupt Western North Carolina Railroad Company to bring transportation to the mountains. Is that kind of when we saw started to see the state get connected? It was back in 1875? That's exactly right. And you know, that was only two lifetimes ago. You think about it, a person who's 75 right now was born in uh, 1949, a person born 75 years earlier, gee, that's 1875. Wow. Wow. Uh, Talk to us a little bit more about the incarcerated labor that helped to build these railroads and what you're trying to do to bring recognition to those people. Part of the problem was that 10 years after the Civil War, the state was busted financially, and there weren't enough people to work because there were so many men and boys killed in the Civil War. The state wanted to build this railroad, but they didn't have the money or the manpower, so they turned to the only solution they had, the state prison. So they raided the state prison and took every prisoner they could get, and that really wasn't enough. So they put the word out to the law enforcement and prosecutors, get us some more prisoners. Well, Translated in that time, in the 1870s, that meant black people. Uh, They'd been slaves until 10 years earlier, and they were the ones who got picked on mostly. Most of the labor that built this railroad had been slaves and were African-American men. They were shipped up in boxcars from the state prison in Raleigh, which was brand new at that time, all the way to the spot where the Piedmont meets the mountains. You step out of the box car and you look up and you see this foreboding cliff-like string of mountains, and it's terrifying to people who've never seen a mountain before. Mm. What were the conditions like for these men that helped to build this railroad, Mayor? It was very, very spartan. It was brutal. They had to build their own quarters. Uh, the food was was basically enough to keep them alive. There was an investigative committee from the legislature that went up in 1877, and here's what they said the average day's ration was. A half pound of pork, 22 ounces of cornmeal, and either a third of a pound of peas or one pound of potatoes. That was typical. Mm -hmm. That's for a day. That's not one meal. So they were given enough food to keep them alive. The the convicts, you see, were expendable. The sledgehammers that they used were more valuable to the railroad builders than the convicts. They could replace the convicts, but if a sledgehammer got hit wrong and the iron broke, they were without a tool. So the people didn't matter nearly as much as the few tools that they had. The primary tool they used for clearing the land to make the path possible for the tracks was a flat rock about the size of uh, maybe 15 inches across where they would dig on the side and pull and scrape to, to get the dirt smooth as they climbed 1,002 feet within 3.4 miles 
straight line. That's why there are loops up there in the railroad of 8.4 miles. 3.4 miles straight line, 8.4 miles of rail. And, Mayor, how are you going about to bring recognition to these men that helped to build the railroad and those that also were killed? Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Dan Pierce, a history professor at UNC Asheville, uh, and I got together, and we formed a group because we I'd been studying this for 50 years. Uh, I read John Ely's book, The Road, in 1969. Then I went to Wake Forest in my history thesis, I wrote it on the construction of the railroad. And I thought, why is it that this is sort of a secret? There's nothing ever that I've read anywhere else about who built this railroad and why it was so important. For years, it was stalled because the people thought that the leadership in Raleigh thought it was too steep to climb. But I thought, I want to dig deeper. And I did dig deeper. For 50 years, I've been investigating this. And Dan Pierce and I decided, because of things that I had written over the years and spoken about, that we needed to do something to recognize these largely African-American men who did this brutal work under severe conditions. And so we got together a group that raised the money, and we have erected and, and constructed a Native Rock Monument at a place called Andrews Geyser. People in eastern North Carolina probably never heard of it. I was born and raised in Smithfield, and I never heard of it until I got up here to Marion. But it's a beautiful spot, very historic. And we've got a monument there dedicated to the convicts who did the work under these brutal conditions and opened up western North Carolina to commerce, to communication, and to transportation. Sir, is this railroad still in use today? It is. This railroad is used every single day still. Now, unfortunately, not used as much as it used to be. It, there's an occasional freight train that uses it now. It was passenger rail until 1975, and that's where that ended. But in December, thank goodness, Amtrak has declared that the corridor that goes all the way from Salisbury to Asheville, which includes this very section, is on target to become passenger rail once again as part of the Amtrak system, which I think is fascinating. The There are seven tunnels that this railroad goes through as it climbs the mountain, and these tunnels were built by these convicts. Keep in mind, they didn't have any fancy tools. They had sledgehammers. They had their muscles. A little bit of black powder or gunpowder was used inside the tunnels. Plus, the first use of nitroglycerin in the southeastern United States was used inside these tunnels. But until a tunnel is built and finished, it's just a cave. Mm. And there's one of them, the biggest one at the top, the Swannanoa Tunnel, that was eight was 1,832 feet six football fields end to end. And these convicts had to carry out the blasted and broken rock over a jagged floor, carrying a 40-pound rock, poking into their belly, Mm. two football fields or more long just to get it outside the tunnel.
This was brutal. So we thought it appropriate to recognize them. Mr. One more. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, please go ahead. Finish your thought. There's one more point that I thought was so very important. Oral history had it in an old bluegrass song talked about a cave-in in the Swannanoa Tunnel right about the time that it was finished. And a friend of mine who's uh, several years older than me told me a spot that her grandmother identified in the community of Ridgecrest. Well, that's right at the end, the western end of the Swannanoa Tunnel. And she said, this is the Ridgecrest Convict Cemetery. Blew my mind when she said that. And she said, this this is where the 19 convicts who were killed in the cave-in were buried. Well, that's just word of mouth. There was no written record that I or any of my other co-helpers with this project ever found. So we got a human remains detection dog, sometimes referred to as a cadaver dog. And we brought the dog up, and the dog confirmed and identified the spot. The dog sat 19 times identifying the spot where these convicts were just thrown in a hole in the ground, no coffin. And what happens is the decomposing body modifies the soil, and it produces an odor that stays basically forever. Humans can't smell it, but the dogs can. Then we brought in ground-penetrating radar from a professor at Western Carolina University. He confirmed the same thing, same spot. So we put a second memorial, a two-ton boulder. We dedicated that just last October at Ridgecrest near the western end of the Swannanoa Tunnel. This boulder is to acknowledge the death, not only of those 19 in the cave-in, but all who died. Mm. We never knew who these people were, and and, and I even talked about it in giving uh, presentations over the years that the convicts were so lowly regarded that their names weren't recorded. But we learned last summer they were recorded. They just were never revealed. It took legislative action to unfreeze these records. And then I went to Raleigh to the Archives and History Building, and I went, I studied for a week researching one book, a giant book, has 5,601 names. Now, not all of them were assigned to this project. That was over a period of more years than this. But I found in that book 311 men and four women who were assigned to work on this project. So we'd love to have you back on to talk more about this, but certainly appreciate uh, your effort and your time this morning.